0: Man, it is a joy to get to be with you and to see everyone uh, today This gathered here. Uh, Stephen disappeared. Stephen, I want to say something to you, sir. Um, I've known you now for <clears throat> a good while. Stephen and I used to uh, meet down in Deep Ellum at the Chipotle there and get to hang out uh, in a, before you had kids. And I just wanted to say how, how proud I am of you. I think watching you God put something on your heart with serving with Forerunner, it's not like you didn't have a full plate of life activities before then, but God put something on your heart, something where you said, Hey, I could take some time and step into something that, you know, could be uncomfortable, of like I I don't have a child, I've never, you know, I've lived junior high, but I haven't like mentored someone through junior high, right? But you stepping into doing that through the glamour of, man, this will be awesome, to the challenges of just everyday life with everyday people, right? And your own life, you know, things going on in your life. And I love seeing what God's done and the way God has used you. And I think when we had lunch the other day, I just left almost in tears at watching the man that you've become and that you've grown into as you sought to serve and to put others forward. And I just want to honor you here. We love you. So proud of you. And I actually think what, um, I'm just going to go off the plan for a moment. I think that this thing that's happening in you, this growth and development is actually a prophetic word for all of us of what God wants to do in us as we say, okay, God, you've giving me a heart for something or a burden or or I I don't know, I just feel drawn to this to say I'm going to step out and I'm going to serve somebody and I'm going to step into this and I'm going to see what happens and the Lord uses that and I think that's a a word for all of us is that God, if you were to ask me, hey, what is the Lord doing in the church in Antioch, Dallas in this season? I was at our church plant in uh, the Garland area last week at Antioch Lake Cities and seeing So many folks there that for so long were pillars in this house and getting to go over there and see them stepping into new things, developing and taking steps forward. And as I've watched our congregation through wherever we are in COVID, and don't ask me, I don't know where we are in COVID. I just know that I use that as a term for the last couple years. Uh, Talked to some medical professional about COVID. I don't know, but I'm just saying where, where, where we are, is I'm watching so many of us take steps forward into places of maturing in Christ that make us feel uncomfortable, that make us look around and be like, hey, I remember when that older person in my life did that. Now I'm the person that's needing to step into that role. And that can feel really uncomfortable, but that's also the place of growth. And so I just wanna release a prophetic word here in this moment, is that for everyone here, I believe that the Lord as a loving heavenly father, is developing you. And there are places that God is calling you forward, opportunities that he's putting before you that are steps of serving that are going to feel uncomfortable, going to feel like, shouldn't someone else be the one? I've always counted on this person to do that. And now it's like, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's your time. It's, it's your generation. It, it's time to step forward. We've been as a staff in our staff life group. We do a staff life group every Tuesday, and we've been meditating on Ephesians 4, where God gives a picture of His heart for the church. And it's really profound, and we'll talk about it on, on a Sunday morning, sometime soon. But in Ephesians 4 uh, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter four, verse 11, It talks about that Jesus Christ gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to the church to equip his people for works of service. So God gives leaders within the body of Christ to equip the church for works of service. Now get this, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I love that. If you jump down into verse 16, it says that Christ is the head, and from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what's Paul saying? He's saying that God has given leaders to the body of Christ. God gives leaders into churches for the purpose of equipping the saints. Who's a saint? You are. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. So just say, I'm a saint. saint. You don't seem convinced. The word of God calls you a saint. Say, "I'm I'm a saint. And the Lord is at work in our church equipping the saints, equipping us for works of service. And the way that his body, the way that his church grows and develops and displays the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places that shines with the splendor of God is when we together come together like parts of the body and when each one does the work that we're called to we in the Holy Spirit build one another up in love that together we come together into the full measure of the stature of Christ what does that mean I don't know but it means that we mature into Jesus We mature into who God has made us to be, both as individuals, but also as a community. I just believe in this season, I wanna put that out there for us as a prophetic word for us, is that God is developing us. And there are places for each one of us to step forward that may feel uncomfortable, but as each part does the work, as each part kind of like muscles work together, everyone is built up in love. Everyone is built up in Christ. So this month, as we Share different testimonies about serving. I just believe this is something prophetic that God is doing in our community. I'm excited that each of us get to be a part. Today, we are going to be in John chapter 11. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and go there. We are going through the Gospel of John. Like I said, was at Antioch Lake Cities last week. Uh, and that was awesome to see so many of them, and it's awesome to get to be here today. We're going to be in John chapter eleven. If you're new with us, uh, we go through. Uh, we're going through the Gospel of John this year as a church, and so each and every Sunday, we're taking a portion of John. We're teaching on it on Sunday morning, and then we have a reading plan to help us let the Word of Christ dwell within us richly during the week, that we might be built up and encounter Jesus in fresh ways. We're going to be in John chapter 11 today. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a story. When I graduated college, uh, my first job out of college, I have a master's in education, was teaching uh, in uh, various schools in my city and at-risk schools. That's what God gave me a heart for. That's what I felt the Lord was leading me to do. And At the first school that I taught at, I was new. It was, I was teaching fifth grade. And I was paired with a more experienced teacher. Her name was Miss B. Her her real name was much longer, but everyone called her, all the kids called her Miss B. So I called her Miss B. And she was maybe four or five years older than I was. She was married. She had kids. She'd been teaching for several years. And so she was, to me, I was like, this is the person I should ask the questions when I don't know what to do. And honestly, I think the administration put me next to her so that she would watch out for the new guy and make sure that everything was going okay, right? So I asked Miss B a lot of questions that year about teaching and learning from her. And she would ask me questions about my life. And I shared with her uh, about Christina and that I was wanting to get engaged to her. So Miss B asked me, well, have you, you know, have you bought a ring yet? And I was like, no, I'm saving my money. I had looked up somewhere how much money, how many months of salary should you save to be able to get an engagement ring. So I was living very frugally in order to save to get this ring because I wanted to marry Christina. But I, if you don't know this about me, I'm not a jewelry guy. I don't know a lot about jewelry. I think maybe the only piece of jewelry I've ever owned really outside of like an elementary school desire for like gold chains was this, was this uh, wedding ring. But I didn't have that at the time, obviously. So I don't know what I'm doing and I'm thinking about making a very uh, large purchase for me uh, of, a, of a wedding ring <clears throat> with a diamond. And what did I know about diamonds? Only what I'd seen in the movies, right? They were shiny and seemingly very expensive. That's what I knew. And so I'm telling Miss B this, and this is my idea. Well, I'm going to get a diamond, and I know this term carrot, which has to do with size. And I thought maybe there was like small, medium, and large, like at Wendy's, like an extra value meal. Like that's what I thought. And Miss B looked at me, and she was like, no, 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 no. I, I have to help you here. And she gave me an education into the world of diamonds. And this seemed very profound to me. At the time I'm going to share it with you, you might be like, oh my goodness, how did you not know that? I didn't know what I didn't know, but Miss B was there to help me. So she said, look, man, when you start talking about diamonds, no one's using small, medium, and large. This is not a fast food restaurant where you kind of order your extra value meal. Well, no, no, no. I got to explain this to you. There are many facets of a diamond. There are many ways of talking About diamonds. And so she told me four that when I went to buy the engagement ring, I didn't look like a moron, not knowing what in the world I was talking about. So she told me the four things I need to consider. Does anybody know one of them? They all start with C. Oh cut, clarity, color. We got some, we got some uh we got some uh diamond experts in the house today. We've got cut that has to do with the angles, the proportions. You know, kind of how the diamond is shaped. We've got color. That's how clear it is. It's a little bit of an oxymoron, like a little bit confusing. It's not actually a different color, but the higher that you want it, more clear. Uh, And it gets more expensive, the clearer that it is. Clarity, how clean the diamond is, of blemishes, and then carat. That has to do with the weight of a diamond. So she said, when you go in, you've got to learn about cut, about clarity, about color, and carrot. So I was like, oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Mrs. B. In fact, I remember that diamond discipleship lesson, maybe more than anything else that she taught me uh, that year. It was really important. So when I went to buy the engagement ring, I did not look like a moron. Moral of the story, if you're considering buying an engagement ring, find someone in your life like Miss B or maybe Tess Claypool because I heard you giving out the C's and you can get some information on so you don't show up and don't know what you're doing, right? Many facets of a diamond. Not simplistic, not just one kind of look at it. okay? When we, the story that we're about to go into is such a rich and powerful story that similar to diamonds, there, there are many facets to this story. And in this story that we read from the life of Jesus, this is something of the Holy Spirit, has used in the church. And when I say the church, I don't just mean our church, Antioch, Dallas, but I mean the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages, throughout the generations, in different countries, in different time periods, under different empires and regimes that the Holy Spirit has used to speak to God's people, that the Holy Spirit has used to encounter the Lord's people, We want to encounter Jesus. There's so many facets to the story that we're about to read that God has used to meet his people. Just think about it. For thousands of years around the world, people following Jesus, gathering around this story that happened in a real place at a real time. And this story becoming a source of spiritual strength and encouragement. For believers like you and me throughout the history of the global church. So as we come to the word today, we're not the first people to come to this story. We're not the first people to encounter what does it look like to walk with Jesus in everyday life. We're not the first group of disciples that have considered that. And for thousands of years, God's people have come to this story and drawn hope, drawn encouragement, drawn strength from the many facets, the many words that God wants to speak through the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That's where we are today. We're going to read the the famous story, maybe uh, one of the most famous stories from the Gospel of John. This is the seventh sign, the first uh, 11 chapters of the Gospel of John. John orders them around various signs. We've covered a few of them as we've gone through it. There was the changing of the water into wine at the wedding of Cana in John 2. There was the healing, the royal official's son in John 4. Healing of the paralyzed man in John 5 was the third sign. The feeding of the 5,000 in John 6, the walking on water in John 6, that was 4 and 5. Marshall, a few weeks ago, uh, taught on healing of the man born blind. And then today, raising Lazarus from the dead, raising Lazarus from the dead. And I just want to honor what Marshall, a couple weeks ago, uh, took us into. And I want to take us back there today to each of these signs were included in John's gospel. He had so much material to pull from, but each of them were included. If you look at John 20, and we'll put that up on the slide uh, for you to see, John included these things that you and I might believe in Jesus, that these signs weren't just stories from long ago, but they were pictures meant to point us and build up our faith in Christ, and in believing in him, might have the life that is available in the name of Jesus. So John wrote this with you and me in mind. That as we go through this story today, that God has something for us in it to build up our faith and to lead us into the abundant life that's found in Christ. So John chapter 11, turn with me there. We're going to read it through and talk about it, and then we're going to look at a number of the facets of this story or ways that the body of Christ has been strengthened through this story, this encounter with Jesus. Uh, through the ages and the generations. Now, John 11, verse 1. Now, a man was sick. His name was Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are a set of siblings. They come up time and again in the various Gospels. They were friends of Jesus. In this story, Lazarus has become sick Verse two, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent a message to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Let's just stop right there, make sure we catch what's happening here we see these people who are dear friends of jesus one of them getting very sick and they send a message to jesus saying jesus the one whom you love they knew that they were loved by jesus and at the same time they knew that lazarus was sick this is really helpful for me as i read this in my own life to realize Just because we're friends with Jesus, just because we're loved by him, does not mean that we are spared from life's trials and hardships like sickness. But that God's people throughout the ages and throughout the generations, that we all have been through trials, sickness, hardship, that that is a common experience to the people of God. When I read that, I'm like, man, If I was writing this and I was trying to promote Jesus, I would leave those stories out. Right? If you're doing marketing material, you don't write like, hey, here's the actual flaw in the Tesla. Or here's the thing that doesn't work. You only promote the features, right? It's a little messy that people that love Jesus can get sick. That people that love Jesus, as we read, can die. That people that love Jesus can have hard things go on that they can't explain. And here the Lord is who is healing people and loves them, but here Lazarus is who is sick. Those things are encouraging to me because it makes me think, man, this book is not manufactured by someone with a slick story. But these are details that I would think, man, maybe we just leave those out. I would like not to preach that part. But to be faithful, I need to preach that part and to live with Jesus and walk with him. This is so helpful because I'm like, oh, this sounds like my real life and your real life. Here on planet Earth. So when Jesus heard it, when he heard the message, he said this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, note, he did not say that this sickness would not uh, pass through death, but he said it would not end in death and that somehow in this death that God would be glorified. And that the son of God, Jesus, would be glorified through it. Verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that, she, that he, Lazarus, was sick, he went immediately. No. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Again, complicated part of the story. Jesus, who he just saw heal a blind man, gets word that the people whom he loves, that Lazarus is sick enough that they send a message to him. So this is not like a cold. This is not like a fever. He'll be okay. This is like something, hey, we need to call out for Jesus. Jesus. Jesus hears, John's very careful to include, he loves them, and he stays put for two days. This is a complication in the story that I don't know that they're easy answers to. But I know for so many of us that we know what this feels like. We know what Mary and Martha and even Lazarus could feel like, where it's like, there's something going on in my life. Lord, I need you. Lord, I know that you love me. And it's like, where are you? Anybody ever had an experience in life where you felt that way? We've got three honest people in church. <laughs> right? We've all had those things go on. And John's very careful to include these details of the story. Because these are part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. There are times where we don't have easy answers. There are times where things are delayed where we're like, Lord, we know you have power to do this. I don't understand why you're not doing it. Right? And John, who's very careful in how he put together the gospel of John, is making sure that these are included so that you and I, as he said, is recorded that we might believe in Jesus and find the life that is in him so he doesn't shy away from the complexities of what it means to follow Jesus and the mysteries in what it means. Verse eight, rabbi, the disciples told them just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again. So Jesus, they had tried to kill him. And now he's talking about going back to where the Jews had tried to kill Jesus. But he's going in there because that's where Mary, Martha and Lazarus are. And Jesus responds, aren't there 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this and then told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples looked at him and said, look, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get better. That doesn't mean we have to go in here and die. But Jesus, however, was speaking about Lazarus's death. But they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. That's also really comforting to me because the disciples at times seem like they really miss things that Jesus is saying. That makes me feel better because I'm sure when we get to heaven, the Lord's going to be like, hey, I was saying this and you took it this. No, no, no. We all can relate. So they're going. Jesus is like, come on, guys, we got to go. Thomas who we know as Doubting Thomas, but man, look at the faith he exerts right here. He said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too, that we may die with him. So that sounds like a very bold, courageous move of like someone that we call Doubting Thomas displaying quite a bit of faith. Maybe we should rethink his name. Uh, verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Lazarus is dead. And buried in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet Jesus. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus looks at her and he says, your brother will rise again. Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her again, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, Martha replies, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. Having said this, Martha went back and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she went to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews coming with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit. And he was troubled. And he said, where have you put him? He asked. And they said, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. So powerful. Jesus who I believe knows what is going to happen, and Jesus, who has already said, this sickness is going to ultimately bring glory to my Father's name, when he sees his friends weeping, that he weeps too. That he enters into the emotion, the sadness that they're feeling, the grief that they're feeling. And Jesus weeps there. The scripture tells us that Jesus is moved with compassion and here we see his compassion displayed for his people. I find that encouraging because in the complexities of following Jesus, where Jesus may know an outcome that I don't know, but I am in pain, that I can have confidence right here that Jesus too is entering into my pain and my confusion and my places where I don't understand and things aren't easily resolved and there he meets me. And he wants to meet you in all the places where we don't know and where it seems like things have gone off track. That is a word for us. Maybe we met with the compassion and the relentless tenderness of Jesus to us in our pain. Jesus wept when he saw them, when he saw them crying. Seeing his weeping, verse 36, the Jews said, wow, see how Jesus loved Lazarus. Verse 37, but at the same time, some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes have also kept this man, Lazarus, from dying? Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again. came to the tomb. It was a cave and a, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Martha said, Lord, I believe. She says, "Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Lord, uh, there's already gonna be a stench in there because Lazarus has been dead for four days. Let's think twice about moving this stone away. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. And he said this. He shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let Him go. And Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now, how has the church received this story of Lazarus, the testimony of what happened in Lazarus? One way that God has used this story to strengthen and encourage the church is to strengthen us about our faith in the supernatural healing power of Jesus. That the same Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead is at work through his people today by the Holy Spirit to bring healing to people's bodies. We as a church have experienced the healing power of Jesus. We've shared many of those stories this summer. I remember several years ago, a missionary couple, a church planter couple that we were partnered with. It's a part of Antioch. They were in Mongolia. Josh and Sagana Croslin came and shared a testimony with us of seeing someone in their ministry literally raised from the dead. But yes, it was profound. It was like, wow. Uh, this is amazing. Dr. Craig Keener, who has a Ph.D. from Duke University uh, and teaches at Asbury Seminary, has written a book called Miracles where he documents medically verified cases of miracles through God's people, things like people being raised from the dead. You can buy it on Amazon and you can read testimonies of this happening, not just in Scripture, but in the church in this generation and let it stir our faith. I just want to say in faith, let our faith be stirred to believe for God's healing power at work amongst his people. I know a number of folks in our congregation are crying out for healing and asking God to give them greater gifts of healing to flow through them. Let it be. Let us take this word today and be stirred up to believe for physical healing. But that's not the only facet of this story. That's not the only angle or only lens of looking at this story, the only way that God has strengthened his people. In addition to a testimony to Christ's healing power, God's people throughout the ages and generations have found this story of Lazarus to be a metaphor of what Christ does in our lives, helping us make sense of the way that Jesus is at work in our lives. Fyodor Dostoevsky, the famous Russian writer, wrote Crime and Punishment, uh, wrote Brothers Karamazov. <clears throat> he had a, an experience that he likened to a Lazarus experience. He lived in Russia in the early 1900s, and he and some friends wrote criticisms of the leaders of Russia at that time. They were, for writing these criticisms, they were sentenced to death by the firing squad. So they were pulled out in front of a firing squad, blindfolds put on, persons counting down, three, two, and on one, they were to be shot. At one The shooting is called off for what reason we don't know, and Dostoevsky was sent to Siberia to the prison camps, put in chains and sent. And his response was, it would be better to be dead than to go into the prison camps of Siberia, think frozen tundra, to do hard manual labor. So he's put in chains that would leave scars on his body that he would carry the rest of his life. So this man who thought he was dead somehow gets reprieve, but then a sentence that seems worse than death to go to the camps in Siberia in chains. And on his way there, someone gives him a New Testament. And there in Siberia for four long years, as he did backbreaking labor, the only book that he had with him were the scriptures. And he began to read about Jesus. As he read through the New Testament, Jesus encountered him there. And as Dostoevsky came out of the prison camps, his writing was transformed and would go on to write some of the most famous books in our civilization. But they're all laced with the message of Christ. And in fact, one of the stories that he would include in his writings was that of Lazarus, a picture of his own life, of somehow God bringing life from the dead in his own life and his own story of encountering Jesus in this place of death and finding life. As Russia went communist, they tried to kick out all the Bibles, shut down the churches. There was no more of that. And yet along the way, there would be these many pockets of renewal, when people dug into why this spiritual renewal in a supposed atheist communist country, people would say, well, they took our Bibles, they took our churches, but they left our Dostoevsky. And people, through reading his, his, uh, his, his literary works, would find Christ in them, and they too would experience life from the dead. And so as we sit here today, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today, to encourage us today, to help us to encounter Jesus, is that God wants you to know that you may be in a spot where it feels like I am Lazarus. That is my story. I am too far gone. I'm not just in the tomb. I'm four days in the tomb and smelly. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today that in Christ, no one is too far gone. No one is too far gone. And I want to issue a word of hope to you today. That the same Jesus that said to Lazarus many years ago, Lazarus, come forth, would say to you today, it's time for you to come forth. No one is too far gone. For those of us contending for people in our lives that are in Lazarus-type situations, let us be reminded and stirred today that no one is too far gone for Jesus. Let us send word again today, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And let's trust the Lord to come, even if we don't understand the timing. For others of us, this is a way of explaining our story. When someone asks you, tell me about your faith, you might find in the experience of Lazarus a way to talk about what God has done in your life, giving us language to share testimony that we too, like Lazarus, could enter in and be like, I don't know all the answers. I don't know all the timing. I don't know how all that works. But I know what the Lord did for me. That I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was blind, but now I see, right? That's what the church has received from this. It's a metaphor. It's a testimony of the healing power of Jesus. It's a metaphor to describe how Christ changes lives. John calls this a sign. Remember, this is the seventh sign. And signs in the Gospel of John point to a greater revelation. That they're all pointing to someone. So this is the sign in chapter 11, the latter 10 chapters of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John has 21 chapters, are all pointed at Jesus not calling Lazarus out from death, but Jesus himself entering into death to do battle with death, to defeat death, to swallow up death, that the song of the church might be, though we grieve as people die, we do not grieve as those who have no hope, as Paul said in Thessalonians. That we might sing, oh death, where is your sting? Because of Jesus. It's not just Lazarus who was for a brief moment raised back to life. But for the people of God, as we believe that death is defeated in Jesus' name. That though we die, as Jesus said, and unless the Lord returns, we will all die. Though we die, this is not something that is the end. But that in Christ... That we are raised to new life. That Jesus is making all things new. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to encounter us today through these words that death is not the end because of Christ. Death, even death, bows to the name of Jesus. Amen. I think we've all become more familiar and uh, uh, acquainted with death over the last two years in our own generation. And this is a time where I believe within God's people that he wants to stir up the song again. Death, oh death, where is your sting? Because Jesus has entered in, not just for a brief moment for Lazarus, but once for all time for all who would believe in his name. The fourth way that the church has received encouragement and spiritual strength is to realize that this is. Way, the way of Jesus is the mark of a disciple following the path of Christ. This really profoundly hit me. This is by a uh, Bible teacher named Adolph Schlater, who said, For God's people, it's not preservation from death, but glorification through death. That is the appointed lot of Jesus himself. And in fact, this corresponds with the way the church must go as well. That Jesus himself going to raise Lazarus from the dead was going to take on death, but even as Philip said, was going to take on his own death and the death of the world. And then rise again. And for the disciples who said, let us go and let us die with Jesus. They all, save John, met untimely death for following Jesus. And this is a reminder to all of us that the way of the cross is the way of life. And for us, in following Jesus, it doesn't mean that we are going to be spared as Rachel Thatcher. Rachel, I don't know if you're in here. It doesn't mean that we are going to have a charmed life. And she was sharing in our staff library. I wish she was here uh, right now just to pull her up. But so often what we pray for is a charmed life. That everything would go wonderful according to plan and everything would be awesome. It would be that Lego song. But that misses the way of Jesus. And that what Jesus holds out for his people is not a charmed life, but a life marked with life and life to the full. But it's life that comes through the way of the cross. And so for everyone here in a trial, take heart. This is the way of our master. And He has not left us and He will not leave us. He's gone before us. And He's gone before you. And though your waiting may seem like two days, though your waiting may be like it doesn't resolve on this side of eternity, like I hope, Jesus is making all things new. And we too, as His disciples like Philip did of old, can say, let us go that we might die with Him. Knowing that as we die with Him, we will be raised to life in Him. So I hope as we sit here with these words today and we go into the ministry time, if the worship team can come forward, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to encourage you, wants to strengthen you wherever you are. That one of these facets of this story is meant to speak to you on August the 7th, 2022 at 1120 Central Standard Time. That here on this side of eternity, the Holy Spirit wants to speak and strengthen and guide us as the people of God today, that we might encounter Jesus, the one who gives resurrection from the dead, bringing resurrection life into our lives and our story. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to worship. I will say, if you have children uh, in the children's ministry, I talked too long. My apologies. I've committed to them that we will uh, get our children out on time uh, this Sunday. So if you have them, if you would go and get them, you can bring them in here. We're going to worship Uh, But if you could honor the volunteers back there serving by picking up your kids on time, that would be tremendous. I'm going to pray and let's press in together to the Lord. Jesus, thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. Thank you that these are not empty words, Lord. But that by your spirit, you who are the resurrection and life are present here right now with your people in the midst of the trials of life in the midst of the sicknesses of life, in the midst of the things that we don't understand and the timing that doesn't seem like the timing that we would choose or the way that we would choose, Lord, that we look to you, the resurrection and the life, Lord. And we put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. And we lift you up today. Thank you for encountering us as we worship. I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord.